Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the IS podcast, where I talk to my friends about topics that we care about or just conversations. And there are times when I am the only person talking about talking about dramas, movies and things that I want to talk about. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the IS podcast. Today, I have a special guest, someone that I met when I was a student, but she was a faculty. Uh, yeah, basically when I was an undergrad. <laughs> and um, no, we... not faculty. I don't really know how to explain your position because I don't even know. I was a... I was a staff member. Okay, uh, excuse uh, my correction. She was a staff member. We faculty is like professors, right? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Cut this part out. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. That's funny. I can I can leave this in for fun. Okay, and uh, she was a staff member, and um, I was on the e-board of a, a club called Asia on campus, and um, I guess, like, every club needed to have a staff member or something like that, like a liaison, an advisor, an advisor. so yeah. I'm forgetting a lot of words right now, because it's been so long since I used those words. Okay, advisor. Okay, this is what happens when you learn a lot of the language too long and you use it for so many years and then it takes a while back to get back to the English. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. No worries. So, her name is Maria and yeah! Okay. Hello. <laughs> um, so, like, tell, like, a little bit. Oh, okay. No, I was going to just say, happy to be on. Happy to talk to you. Yay. Thank you. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, like, intro a little about yourself and, like, what you do. Stella said, my name's Maria, and um, I've been working in higher education for just over 10 years. Um. And she said that we met years ago when I was a when I was an advisor to the Asian student group um, on campus that Stella was a member of. Um, and currently, I work as an assistant director of alumni and friends engagement. Um, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Currently, anyway. <laughs> But I actually, yeah, actually, that where I currently work, I advise like three other student groups uh-huh. now too. I I advise another Asian student group, uh-huh. um, the uh, Asian Culture Society, um, but I'm also advising the Muslim Student Association, uh-huh. and then I advise as part of my role in the alumni office, I advise the Student Alumni Relations Committee. Um, so yeah i've worked in alumni relations but i definitely have a hand in a lot of student stuff too uh, so okay yep. okay um so like how did you like why did you choose this job like or profession i don't even know how to phrase it but like this i guess profession <laughs> You know, honestly, I stumbled upon higher ed, to be perfectly honest. Um, about uh, uh, 11 years ago, I got married, and um, I'm originally from Maryland, and I 
got married and moved up to Massachusetts. And I actually had like a lot of like really good office skills. So I was kind of like, oh, I can find a job. No, no worries. But um, I got married in 2008, right around the time when <laughs> the financial Economy, market yeah. was kind of like totally tanking. And mm-hmm. so I actually didn't work for a little while. And it was a little, at first I was like, oh, this is cool. I can relax and kind of settle into my new location and stuff. But mm-hmm. after a while doing the job hunt, um, it was kind of getting, I'll, I'll admit a little scary. Cause I was like, okay, geez, can't even find office jobs. I mean, you can, but it was like, were they paying enough to do a long commute into Boston? Cause I don't live right in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. I live about an hour away. Mm-hmm. So uh, and while I was trying to look for work to keep me busy, I was actually planning my high school reunion. Mm. Um, it was my 10-year reunion at the time. So it was, uh, yeah, 10-year. Um, yeah, so I was kind of keeping myself busy. But somehow something showed um, showed up on my job search, and it was to work in an alumni um, office at a, at a unit at a college. So I was just like, yeah, you know, I put my hat in. I think there were a couple other administrative jobs on the campus that I just applied to. And um, I was fortunate enough to get picked to work in the alumni office. And it seemed like such a perfect fit. Here I was planning my high school reunion. And lots of friends of mine were kind of like, actually, why weren't you doing that job to begin with? I was like, I have no idea. I didn't even realize it was an option when I was in school. I mean, who knew? No one actually told me back in my day when I was in school that Mm -hmm. higher ed was actually an option. But um, I'm glad it kind of fell into my lap and that I was lucky enough to get that position. And I've been in higher ed ever since. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um... So, like, so nobody told you about, like, the option of working in higher ed? Like, like... No, honestly, when I, I mean, I was a commuter student when oh. I was in college. Mm-hmm. And so I never honestly really got to know a lot of the administrative s- staff. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to, like, classes, spoke to TAs and my professors, but I never really, like, I wasn't all that into doing things on campus I wasn't the most active student and as being a commuter student that's sometimes the experience that you get is you're just kind of there to take your classes and you kind of leave um so yeah surprisingly enough I didn't no one told me about that option so uh yeah I'm I mean I'm I however I stumbled into it I'm I'm glad I did because it's it is something I do enjoy. I mean, I wouldn't stay in it for 10 years if I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> well, 10 years? Yeah, it's been that long Whoa. already, I know. That's Feels like ages. Crazy. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Because um, I feel I like, like it. Yeah, because I feel like um, a lot of times when people think of college, like working on like colleges and everything, the first thing that people thought of is like, oh, um, you you either are a like professor there or like anything else, but like nobody really thinks about like alumni relations or like all these other different type of jobs that they have on campus Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's like really cool that like I to be honest like I never knew about it until I met you really (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm glad because honestly, a lot of students don't think about the alumni office um, or the advancement field in in higher ed as mm. an option because they only think of contacting the alumni office when they want to meet another alumnus, mm. you know, in hopes of getting a job. And, and, and there's a little bit more to it. And it's there's, you know, outside of the academics and student life mm. and, and um, the offices and departments that support students. Um, there is that advancement field. And I, I don't want to say we don't support students because, you know, in advancement, we do. We're mm-hmm. part of that um, that fundraising side and that engagement side to kind of keep our alumni still connected to the universities and colleges that they attended. So we do support students in that way, but not always in the most direct way like other departments do. Mm, okay, okay, okay. As in, like, we don't, as in, well, you know, I don't want to say that because I actually do for the most part. And a lot of alumni offices, a lot of offices do have, like, and in recent years, um, they do a lot of, like, trying to stay connected with um, or engage students more so that they have a better sense of what, how the alumni office supports um, the university Mm -hmm. and how they can support students after they've graduated Mm, okay okay yeah yeah I feel like the alumni office because I didn't really use it much um Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like when I was an undergrad there was like a list of like before you graduated like you have to uh like fill out this thing online it's like oh Mm -hmm. like your contact information after you like leave the campus the college I know I'm like I was like okay cool that was it and then I didn't really use it. No, and, and sometimes people have this misconception like, that, like, well, I mean, people don't always want to, like, be contacted by your office. They're like, no, you're just going to ask me for money. I, like, I, you know, and I'm like, it's it's more than just that. There are definitely ways that we try to support and engage our alumni mm-hmm. um, other than helping, you know, you know, helping or asking for donations for the institution, because that's all very important. You mm. you know, after you've graduated, I mean, yes, do I understand that students have like, you know, student loan debt and things like that. And, you know, sometimes your first job isn't making, you know, a ton of money. Totally get that. Um, but, you know, there is still something to be said about supporting your alma mater and and making sure that it continues to be a good place for students to get a good education and um it's kind of like investing back into your education too so um I think that's important and so I was glad that um you know I started out as an administrative assistant Mm -hmm. in the alumni office but then I became I transitioned into an assistant director and Mm -hmm. part of my role was to engage students Mm -hmm. and so I was happy when I got an opportunity to advise Asia and it opened the world into all the different clubs and organizations that students get involved with at a university or a Mm -hmm. college. And um, I got to know more students through those clubs and got to know a lot more um, colleagues in the student affairs world. Um, There's a lot, that's, you know, that's a department that does a lot for students and um, it's amazing to see this stuff that they, they go through and how, um, how they really do enjoy supporting students and helping them succeed in, you know, succeed at college Mm. but yeah 
So I'm glad I introduced you to the alumni. Yeah. <laughs> and not that I didn't know that existed, but like people that work there, I've never like really interacted with people there that much. Yeah. So then, and well, but, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's fair to say, because a lot of, a majority of the work that gets done in advancement um, and alumni relations, of course, is usually to towards alumni and people outside of the campus. But um, um, I would say that they're definitely making better strides and being more engaging um, with students and finding ways to help really connect alumni with students because that's what we're seeing is something that a lot of alumni want to do more of. Because mm. I, because like the college that I like went to, I felt like the majority of the staff there, there weren't that many POC staffs. So then I'm not going <laughs> to lie, I wasn't really comfortable with like non-POC, I don't even know, like people who weren't POC because I was just like, Mm, yeah and then like I don't know it just felt really weird being there I mean like even no, though the majority of the campus the demographic is like not that much POC um but I always talk about like the first day of class was when I had like a culture shock because like you know when you like apply for colleges like on cult- uh, college board it says like oh like um how much percentage of the like student body is like white and then when I got on campus I was like okay yeah and then like that day like everyone came out of their class and I was just like standing in front of like um near Kimball well O'Kane or whatever near Stein and everyone just came out, and I was like, wow, there's not much POC people. And I was just like, this is so weird. I was just, like, so shocked that day. That was, like, I was like, wow, so this is, like, this is real. I was like, wow, okay. Well, I mean, it, it, to be honest, I when I joined that campus, it didn't actually phase me because I actually grew up um, – you know, I grew up in a lot of white space. Um, I worked in a lot of white space p- prior to joining higher ed uh, or predominantly white space. And, um, you know, even though the, you know, where I ended up going um, to university, that was a pretty diverse place. But because I wasn't used to having a ton of diversity, I actually didn't know how to, like, navigate that space. And I ended up still having, like, a majority of like white friends and um that's just how I was I mean I you know I never tried to hide being Asian but it wasn't like I overtly like lived it out loud or anything um you know I went to school in white space I worked in uh, predominantly white space but I always went home I always had my family to go to so mm-hmm. my family and relatives so it's not like I ever missed out on being Asian or anything like that mm-hmm. but um so when I went to that you know that university I know that college I it didn't phase me and I actually work in a department in a in a higher ended part of industry that um is predominantly white a lot of time. There aren't a lot of POCs in in the advancement world in higher education. It's getting better, but 10 years ago when I started, there weren't many. Um, I believe myself and I think one other woman who I believe identified as Latinx. Oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I think she and I were the only yeah. POCs at the mm-hmm. time in the department, mm-hmm. in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, 
again, it didn't phase either one of us because I think both of us really, we, we were used to navigating that space. Mm. Um, and it really didn't seem like a big deal to me at all, mm. to be perfectly honest. Um, and um, it really actually wasn't until um, another colleague, another woman of color colleague at that mm. college, mm. reached out to me and just said, hey, you know what, some of us other women POCs, we... Um, we sometimes get together and, you know, kind of like a little support community. And it wasn't something that I thought I needed at the time, but, you know, I was just trying to, you know, make friends because I, and I didn't mind, you know, meeting new people. I love meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to one of their gatherings and kind of get to hang out and talk to them and it was actually kind of a interesting feeling. You kind of get this like, all of a sudden this relaxed feeling came over me because we're kind of like sharing stories, telling jokes and understanding that we have some similar experiences and maybe not exact shared history, but the experiences of being um, a woman of color Mm -hmm. at a predominantly white institution, we were feeling and seeing and experiencing so many different things that were happening to us. And at the time I didn't really you know, related or, or, or think of it. Um, and not to say that people needed to point out microaggressions to me. It's mm-hmm. not like somebody had to teach, had to sit there and say, oh, that's a microaggression. They would just talk about the things that were happening and how they were experiencing it, uh, how they were feeling about that experience. And I didn't realize that I was experiencing those things. I initially felt differently, but when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, huh, I can kind of see where, you know, my initial gut reaction may not have been to be offended necessarily, um, but I can see how some of them were feeling that. Mm. And and I, I started to kind of just reflect on experiences that I've had either over the years or as I was experiencing that, that week or something after, after hanging out with those women and mm. I would sit there and be like, oh, you know what, that thing kind of happened at that meeting. Mm. <laughs> and, or, oh, you know, so-and-so did say something, and I kind of just laughed it off and didn't think anything of it, but I also just didn't think to say anything at the time. Um, so it, some people may think that, you know, that group was just trying to help me, was trying to make me look for things, mm. but it wasn't that they were making me look for it. They were just, that group helped me become more aware of mm. things that were happening. So um, I want to make that clear that they weren't trying to make me look for things to be wrong. Mm. I was becoming more aware Aware, of how some of those things might not be the best, Mm. you know? Mm. Um, So, yeah, and then I started to really feel, I mean, I felt it even before um, becoming part of that group, you know, Mm. when we have a divisional meeting and literally everybody else around you is not POC and you're the only one in the room or myself and not one other colleague, you feel it, Mm. you know, I mean, you, you don't, you know, when you first sit down, but then you start looking around, you're like, Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) And at the time, um, when I first started, it wasn't really, honestly, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a big deal, but when things on that campus started to change a little bit more and more and more awareness about the need for diversity and how they need to be more inclusive started to come up, 
it was really starting to be a bit more apparent for me about how I was feeling in that space mm. and how, um, how am I being represented or how am I being seen actually is a better way to put it. How are people seeing me? Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I never felt any, t- I never felt overt discrimination or racism within that, um, space, but mm. I think I definitely could feel when, um, when the question of how diverse is the campus, mm. you know, and, and diversity issues, diversity and inclusive issues started to come up, you know, I felt this need to start saying things more out loud and to be a little bit more vocal and to advocate more about, you know, how we looked at certain things, you know, how we marketed to our alumni, how we marketed to students, how do we, um, you know, how are we trying to be more inclusive when we're creating events and programs and things like that? And becoming more vocal, I realized that I might have been making people a bit uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and that happens. I get it. And and I think at the time that we were so new to having those types of discussions on that campus that mm. it was, you know, it started to weigh on me a little bit. Mm. So... Um, I ended up making a a career shift and I left that institution to um, take a position in the diversity inclusion office at another institution. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I mean, you know, at that first institution, I was um, becoming more involved with like the multicultural student Mm -hmm. um, groups, like, finding ways to support them and in identity-based groups like the LGBTQ community. Um, there were definitely some strides made at that institution, but um, for me personally and professionally, I was not, I was feeling um, a need for a shift mm. um, in, in where I wanted to go with, um, you know, my career and, and, even how I wanted to be seen professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that step to um, work in a diversity and inclusion office and I learned so much. Um, you know, I I know currently I said I work back in alumni relations, but it's in the institution that I moved to. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved to, um, I worked in the diversity and inclusion office for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned so much. I actually... Um, my our chief diversity officer allowed me to um, implement and manage a, a diversity inclusive uh, diversity inclusion certificate program for that institution. Wow. Yeah, so um, it was an idea she had. She had used it at her previous institution, um, but she allowed me to help implement it at our institution that we're at now mm-hmm. and and kind of run the program for a couple of years. And I sat in all those sessions. I got to learn so much. I earned the certificate myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't by any mean make me, you know, an expert because the world of, <laughs> you know, diverse, the world of diversity, inclu- um, equity and inclusion is always changing yeah. and everybody's learning new ways, um, um, new, new, um, ways to look at the work um so that's always going to be you know like I said I'm not an expert but I definitely know a lot more than I did three years ago Mm. um and so now I've transitioned
transition back into alumni relations. But, um, you know, I have more experience when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion. And so I've learned how to better navigate space that's still predominantly white. Mm -hmm. But I know how to have conversations now where I can question, you know, what we're doing when it comes to um, diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. and and, you know, um, better at advocating for those marginalized communities that have not been um, engaged well in the past um, for this institution. So um, I'm hoping that what I've learned over the past few years working in DNA has um, made me a better um, advocate mm-hmm. in the advancement and alumni relations space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And that's currently what I'm trying to do now. <laughs> yeah. But um, I still have my, yeah, but like I said, I still have my hand working with students. So yeah. I'm advising those student groups and always maintaining my connection with students is something that I I value. Um, something that I learned when I initially um, became an assistant director Um was I was listening to some like Twitter seminar or something, but somebody said students are not just students. Students are future alumni, mm. and I and I've always and ever since that day I have taken that to heart. So I make sure that I still my face is still in front of students, and I remind them that I'm in the alumni office. And I every time they see me, I, I kind of remind them about what I do, how I'm going to support them, and I try to make sure that I stay engaged enough with them that I know what their interests are and what motivates them. And so that when it's their turn to, you know, take the next step and become alumni, Mm -hmm. I know I have a better feeling of what that class, um, you know, what, what they're in tune with, like what, what, um, what their interests are, how they want to stay connected with the institution. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to just assume I know what they want. Mm. I want to know them so that we maintain that connection with them. Mm. <laughs> I try anyway. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, I'm like fangirling right now. I'm like, Cover me up. Yeah! <laughs> and, and honestly, I do, and I want to make sure that even, um, you know, not just, you know, uh, I may put a little bit more of a slander. I might pay a little bit more attention because of the focus of my work on POCs or identity-based groups because mm-hmm. of the communities that they represent. Mm-hmm. But I um, but I also think it's important for me to also recognize and for the institution to recognize that these are not just special interest alumni. They're part of the entire, you know, they're, they're all alumni, mm-hmm. you know, I want them to recognize that they're part of the story of that institution, not just some special group that happened to be there. Oh, they're okay, what a cry. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> um, but that, that's, that's how I, that's how I think about my work and what I do there, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next question? No, just just like because it brings me back to like my undergrad days. Like, 
Because people will, like, say, like, oh, like, a lot of the students who are POC, they always hang out with each other. And then we're just like, okay, so what? But then at the same time, some people... I just feel like sometimes, like, colleges, they... I'm not saying, like, all college, I don't know, but I feel like in general, people always look at the demographic of the student body, and, like, sometimes, because, like, some people, some, like, universities or whatever, they would always say, oh, like, our students, our campus is so diverse and everything, and then, like, for that to happen, I feel like they're like, oh, we have to accept students to meet a certain percentage. I don't even know how that things work, but then I just always have that feeling, and then people are just like, yeah... Well, it's understandable because I think a lot of times when it comes to diversity, it's always spoken about as like, here's a here's a stat to prove Mm -hmm. that we're diverse, Mm -hmm. you know, so diversity is always kind of the way I had always seen it. It was always spoken about in numbers and in statistics. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's great and all. But, you know, just because you have the numbers, it doesn't mean it's an inclusive space. Mm -hmm. Um, The inclusive, you know the numbers may show diversity, but the inclusion comes with how the students are, are treated on the campus. Mm -hmm. Do they feel welcome? Do they feel safe? Do they feel a part of things? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think student uh, institutions that are um, looking at their diversity and inclusion and equity, they're, you know, some are, some may be struggling with it. Some are just getting started. Some are doing better than others, but it is something that's important because, um, you know, students, especially in those communities, um, it, it's important for them to feel like they're, they're part of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like, I don't want, I don't want students or even alumni who are part of, um, you know, these communities to feel like they were just there to be the diverse numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, like the institution is is one thing and then we're just this group that is filling a quota. That's mm-hmm. not um, no one wants to feel like that. And and when you're part of those communities, it can feel like that sometimes because mm-hmm. it, even though, you know, they they may kind of like talk about you as like, oh, they're there. They're on the campus, but no one celebrates why you're there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm that's what I think is needed and what I want you know, students and even alumni, and especially alumni from those communities, I feel like that we celebrate that you are part of the history of this institution. Mm. Um, you know, that the institution wouldn't be the same without you there. Mm. And I think that's sometimes what's missing from the experience of some students and alumni who've kind of, who've gone through and um, who've attended these institutions. They're like, well, we were just there. Mm. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's not something you want to feel. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I just want to make it clear that people were nice to me. It wasn't like anybody was mean. I'm not crying because of that. (laughs) I mean, and that's, and and I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, there were definitely, there were many students who um, experienced microaggressions and, and um, felt things and had certain experiences and encounters with staff members, um, administrators, faculty, other students, Mm -hmm. those things exist, still exist, Mm -hmm. um, in varying degrees of, you know, um, 
things being better or worse, you know, but not to be comparing things, Mm -hmm. but those things still happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily saying that it's always like, you know, that it's all bad. Mm -hmm. It's not all bad. There's definitely, you know, like, like I said, there's student groups to help support and create communities for students um, so that they do feel a part of something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, you know, not everybody experiences something negative every day, Mm. but that stuff still happens. Mm. Um, there's, you can't, you can't just say that it doesn't happen because it does. And I mean, even though it may not be overt in some ways it might be, it's worse that sometimes it's something very subtle Mm. because it's those little things that happen all the time that you kind of try to ignore or try to just let it go. Mm. But they happen so often. That's Mm -hmm. why there are microaggression. Um, You can't ignore those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there might be people who say, oh, but look, you know, look at all the, you know, people of color we have. We have LGBTQ clubs. Like, it's not, it's not bad anymore. That's not true. That's not true. Oh my God. Right, it's not true. It's definitely not true. I think like one of the experiences that I had, like with a, she was a visiting faculty member so she wasn't, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a permanent, like, she wasn't on the, like, I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it, but she was a visiting faculty member, and yeah. um, it was for a class, and then towards the end of the class, she asked me, because it was, like, a, related to, like, a Buddhism class, it was, like, a Buddhism, like, related class, and towards the end of the class, she, we were handing back our papers to her, and then she mm-hmm. was, like, she was asking me, like, my background, and, like, mm-hmm. but then... She was just asking me, like, it was my first time ever encountering someone asking me, like, where are you from? But then she follows up, like, when I told her, like, I'm from Boston. And she's like, but no, like, where are you from? Like, really from? And I was really confused when she asked me that. I was like, what the fuck is this lady trying to say? And then I was, and then later, because I didn't understand what she was saying. And I just gave her, like a, like, a look. And then she was like, oh, like, where are your parents from? And I was like... Oh my god, I yeah. got so mad. And like after I finished answering her question, I just like left the room like really mad. And I was just like, this lady has no idea what she was asking. I was like, oh, oh my god. Well and and that's the unfortunate thing, because I don't I don't necessarily think people mean to be that yeah. way, but they don't realize that the way they're saying mm-hmm. it is has such a connotation to it. Like yeah. when you when you don't seem to think that we're not from here. Mm-hmm. Like, when that answer is not good enough, mm-hmm. you're assuming that we're from someplace else and that we're not, you yeah. know. I'm like, well, you know, I was born and raised in the States. If yeah. you're going to ask me where I'm from, I was, I'm from the States. I'm yeah. from, you know, <laughs> um, if you want to ask what my heritage is, that's what you want to ask me. Yeah. You want to ask me what my, you know, but don't, if you, the question where I'm from, you're assuming that I'm not, I'm not from, from here, here and that's not a correct assumption yeah. and and to make that assumption because I don't happen to be you know I don't happen to be white mm-hmm. is not a not a correct assumption yeah. and I think that's that's something that needs to be made more clear because there are definitely some people who go I don't understand why that correct that question offends and yeah. like well this is I was like well this is why yeah. <laughs> you know if you what you're trying to get at is a different question but the way you're asking it is making it seem like I don't belong here yeah 
so, you know, and I've had that conversation with colleagues. I've had that conversations with other students. Um, I've had that conversation with friends and family. Um, and there definitely is a distinction and people need to understand that the distinction. And when somebody gets asked, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Multiple times, it gets to be, yeah, bothersome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I knew she was coming from, like, a curiosity sort of standpoint, but what you basically (laughs) described was, like, something that, like, I've seen, like, online, like, through, like, different, like, groups, and, like, everyone's Mm -hmm. been through this, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just, like, I was just, like, my first time ever in my life, but then one thing funny happened was, like, I was, like, in the cafe area, um, and I was just doing, like, homework and everything, and this guy comes up to me, and he was trying, he wanted me to translate something in- from Chinese into English, or, like, the other way around or something, and then, like, mm-hmm. I just helped him, and then later he apologized to me, but by that time, I didn't really, like, I was just, like, I was like, well, I'm just helping you because I actually know the language, so I try my best mm-hmm. if I can help you, and he apologized to me, and then I later realized it's because, like, he's like, oh, he didn't want me to feel like, oh, because you're Asian, that's why I'm asking you, he's like, he just, like, immediately apologized, he's like, I'm sorry, he was like, what is going on, but then I was like, no, it's okay, it's totally okay, I was like, I'm just helping someone out, and I didn't make any assumptions about you. But he was, like, freaking out a little. I was like, it's okay. Chill, dude. Chill. Well, I mean, good on him, and good on him for actually being aware that that might have been something that he he could have been doing incorrectly. So, at least there's some people who are trying to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I always laugh every time when I think about that time. Um, (laughs) But, so, you shared earlier that, like, you grew up in a... Um, place or like the schools that you went to were like predominantly white and then like I guess like through working or like interacting with um, the women of color group I guess like I'm trying to ask like when you realize like or like I don't know I feel like everyone's go through this path of like our own like Asian American identity like when did you start like Start realizing that. Start like thinking about that. Um, it's funny because it's funny you you know with this question because um, honestly, a lot of it started for me when I became advisor to Asia. To be honest, I mean, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, I I grew up in you know some predominantly white space, or or there just wasn't there. I grew up in space where there were not a lot of Asians. Mm But I was always exposed to a lot of different cultures. I mean, I was I grew up um, not far outside of D.C., Northern Virginia, which has very diverse populations. So it's not like I didn't I wasn't aware of other, you know, cultures. Um, but I probably spent most of my time in white space. So um, I felt comfortable there. And my, you know, quote unquote, Asianness never was really brought up. Um, at least not in a way that made me, you know, ashamed of my Asianness. It was more just, I just didn't bring it out because I was around, you know, a lot more, you know, folks who are white. So I kind of just acted like them most of the time, you know, unless I was, you know, I did a little bit of code switching, you know, I act one way with my family when I'm with them on the, you know, in the, you know, when I go home at night and mm-hmm. on the weekends and on the summer and stuff like that, when I'm with relatives and family, but then, you know, when I'm at work or at school, I was definitely probably a little 
little bit more white than, <laughs> than I would be at home. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, when I ended up at, um, you know, the, the college where I met you, mm-hmm. that space didn't really, that being in that predominantly white space wasn't really much of a culture shock for mm-hmm. me. I kind of just, I kind of just blended right in, mm-hmm. in a sense, because I assimilate very well. That's just how I grew up. I assimilated. Um, but, you know, working with Asia and with the, you know, spending more time with the women of color and realizing that I could, I felt a little bit of a release mm-hmm. being around people of color and then working with the, the um, with the Asia student group and being part of that Asian community on campus, it was definitely bringing kind of some things back, realizing that I was kind of missing some of that because, you know, full disclosure, my husband's white. So mm-hmm. when I, when I got married and moved up um, to Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, you know, my family up here, my in-laws who I love dearly and they're wonderful to me, they're white. When I went to work, I was working with in a predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. I was 24 seven almost all around white people mm-hmm. so it was not a it was like okay no big deal but then when I started spending time with the um the Asia student group and the women of color I was realizing that I didn't oh wow I miss this mm-hmm. I missed you know having conversations where everybody you know even with this the students were in the Asia club like making you know laughing at jokes that I'm like well, my family at home, my, you know, when I go home and my family wouldn't get this, you know, my white family won't get this. And, you know, quite honestly, you like talking about like, even just like talking about food. I'm mm-hmm. like, I haven't, I don't eat rice that often right now, but <laughs> and realizing like, I'm not eating rice every day. That's weird. Um, so getting to be part of, um, you know, a group of people that, um, that was just getting those things that are part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was hiding who I am. It just wasn't, there weren't really reasons or opportunities for me to express or be part of that mm-hmm. until I started becoming involved with, the, until I became involved with the student groups. And, you know, spending more time with a lot more of the uh, students of color and faculty and staff of color and, and finding that community and that shared experience with all of them, mm. that's kind of what it did it for me. And um, I think it was like my second or third year of advising that group, mm. um, you know, exploration. And I think you attended as alumni. I did a testimonial all about that. Mm. I think you did anyway. I can't remember. I But I got up on stage <laughs> during one of the during the um Asia Spring Exploration Show and I did a testimonial about my experience about how growing up in white space, you know, um how I kind of come how I came to embrace um my Asian heritage mm-hmm. and and Again, like I never, I didn't think I was ever hiding it, but I definitely live my Asian heritage out loud more mm. than I than I had growing up. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna bring some of that food that might <laughs> food that smells like fish sauce. I don't care. I'm gonna bring that to lunch. I don't care. You know, I'm not gonna be afraid to do that. I'm not gonna be afraid to talk about my Asian experience, and I'm certainly not going to be afraid to point out when I think something is not right. Mm. Um, If somebody wants to say something about, you know, about an Asian culture that's not right, I'm going to say something now. I'm not afraid to do that and to tell and to explain to people why 
what they said was not right mm-hmm. on why I'm offended by it or why they shouldn't have said it or, yep, yep, you know, yep. and, and be a bit more vocal about those things. And like I said, um, living my Asian heritage out loud. That's how, that's the phrase I've been using because I didn't realize that though I wasn't ashamed of it, I definitely wasn't celebrating my heritage out loud mm. the way I do now. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. I think it's just like interesting to hear your like experience because mine. I I mean I've said it like a couple episodes ago, but like mm-hmm. I grew up in like the Chinatown community. I went to mm-hmm. school there. I like speak Cantonese at home. My friends speak mm-hmm. Cantonese. Everyone's Asian, so it was like really interesting for me. And then but mm-hmm. my question is always for me was with like my own identity it's like oh are you like american or are you asian because like asian american this term has never occurred to me until i went to high school and like Mm. it wasn't until i learned about like asian american history that people that came before there's history here and like because you never learn it in school so nobody knows right because like because of not learning it i felt like i had no roots here but, like, because learning it, I was like, okay, so there are Asian Americans that came so long ago, and they have mm-hmm. done a lot of things from, like, organizing and all these amazing things that people did. And I was just like, wow. I was like, so, okay, so I'm like, well, I, yeah. Well, I'm a well, I'm a lot older than you, so yeah. the little that you got was a lot more than what I even had. Like, what they talked about in about Asians in any type of history was, you know, they talked about how there were Chinese who were brought over to build the railroads mm-hmm. and how there was the Chinese Exclusion Act, but that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot, there wasn't a whole lot else mentioned about Asian cultures, like, at all mm-hmm. when I was, when I was growing up at, so, um, I mean, it, I see what you're saying about not feeling rude, but to be perfectly honest, I almost didn't even feel like, um, not even that I didn't have a history. I just assumed the history I was reading was my history. Mm. I think that's actually, I don't know if that's even worse, but <laughs> I I just took that for that's my history because I'm here in the U.S. and that's American history and that's my history. Mm. I, you know, I may have heard stories about, you know, relatives and my family growing up in the Philippines, but I just kind of took those as stories mm. I guess I don't know if I really took them in as my history mm. certainly not until I got older you know and I learned that there was a lot more going on with Asian American history in this mm. country and not mm. a, not all of it is not all of it is pretty a lot of it's very ugly but mm. um we definitely have more stories to tell mm. um from for the Asian culture in America that than we've ever heard before. So mm-hmm. that's why ethnic studies is all important. Okay, people. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Don't even get me started. Oh my gosh. Um, but I know, like when we met last time. When when did we meet? Well, last last time at our friend's wedding, we were talking about crazy rich Asians and like it was really funny. Uh, yes. It was so funny. Um, but I know that, like, representation has been, like, something that everyone's been really, like, outspoken about. I think for me, like, I didn't really see this, like, really, 
not or I don't even know, but like people were really into it. I think like it was because of a Twitter thing that someone did, like how someone used John Cho's picture and he put it into like all these movies, like um, like mm-hmm. posters and everything. And then it just I, I don't know with the internet during that time, everybody started to like, yeah, this is like important. We need to see like Asian American more representation and everything like that. And then, like, um, you know, the thing is that I saw the book Crazy Rich Asians in the library before, but then the cover, mm-hmm. like, I just felt like the title, I was like, some white people wrote it. But then when I found out that they were making it a movie <laughs> and I found out the author, I was like, wait, this person's Asian. Because, like, when I saw the title and the cover, I really didn't think that it was someone, like, who was Asian that wrote the book. Um, so, yeah, that was my first reaction. So, like, when they said they were making the movie, I had no idea what the story was about. I was like, cool. I was like, representation, cool. And I was like, cool. But then, like, when I watched the movie, I, there's so many cultural, like, references that they had in there. Even though, like, I'm not from, like, Singapore or anything, but there was so much, like, culture that I connected with. So I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I just wanted to talk about representation really quick, but yeah. Oh, no, I, it's, it was it was huge. I mean, I um, when I was in high school, Joy Luck Club came mm-hmm. out. Um, I didn't read the book, but I did watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Crazy Rich Asians came out, I actually read all the books before mm-hmm. I watched the movie. So by the time the movie came out, I was basically like, so excited to see it um because in the book if, if you haven't read the book you should go read no, it because there's even there's even <laughs> but there's even there's even more cultural references in there but at the same time what i what i enjoyed about the movie was the fact that it was just a love story mm, it was a love story yeah. that just happened to take place in singapore and mm. i thought that was important to for for people to see that you know what you can have a rom-com that didn't have just all white people mm-hmm. you know <laughs> you can enjoy a rom-com that didn't wasn't just all white people and that you can actually look at Asian you know men and women um in that's not in the most stereotypical way mm-hmm. um you know and I thought that was important because I think not only is it important to expose non-Asians to Asian culture, but to also expose them to the fact that we're, we can be just like everybody else. You know, like we don't, we don't just live in the stereotype. Mm -hmm. We live normal lives and we have normal everyday experiences. We all experience love, loss, you know, we, we go through all those same things. We just may happen to do it in a different location or we may just have to speak in a different language or, you know, we're eating different comfort foods to get us through something, but it's kind of all the same thing. So exposing people to the culture so that they can see Asians like, you know, as people you see every day and not just some exotic occurrence that you happen to see when you're in Chinatown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we're kind of everywhere. We kind of do the same things you do. So calm down about it. (laughs) Like that way, like, I mean, that way when they see, when they do see us or when they're around us, they don't need to seem, we don't need to seem exotic or we don't need to seem like some type of object that they need to be curious about. We're just people. Mm -hmm. I think like so. Yeah, sorry. Yes. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I kind of forgot what I was saying. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
no, 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 no. I was I was about to say something, but then I kind of forgot it all in the oh, same no. like second. So okay. go ahead. Oh, I was gonna quickly say that like I felt like for me like representation for like Asian American all happened on YouTube. I'm sure like people like have always knew that like because everyone mm-hmm. was just like oh like Wong Fu Productions or like um Ryan Higa and Kev Jumba and like all these other yes. like creators on the platform so for me shout out to asians on youtube yes so it wasn't for me like something new to see it like online but to see it like mainstream to see yeah like that i was just like i was so excited i was just like yes like this is our moment Mm -hmm. and then no i mean there's still some things too like there were definitely people who still had some critiques about it but Mm -hmm. And I agree with some of the critiques, but yeah. at the same time, I also, I'm, I'm not going to take away from the fact that it was awesome to see an entirely Asian cast for a good two hours mm-hmm. on a big screen mm-hmm. and, and laugh at things that were funny that mm-hmm. I know that some of my non-Asian friends may not have gotten. And I'm just like, that's okay. It's an inside joke. Don't worry. I know, about yeah. it. <laughs> it was kind of fun to do that, to be perfectly honest, but uh, it's there's definitely still things that, you know, we still need to work on for mm-hmm. sure. But I think a lot of strike, you know, like some really good um, positive things have happened mm-hmm. because of it. And since then, and, and it's actually highlighted probably some of the, some of the, um, the Asian content makers that mm-hmm. are on YouTube, it's given them a chance to kind of like come out a little bit more and, and hopefully bring new audiences to them and maybe even some non-Asian audiences to them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I feel like after the movie and then the farewell and, like, all these amazing oh, yeah. other um, pieces, project pieces came out. I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, but, who would have thought the Parasite, uh, a non-American subtitled <laughs> film would actually win? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. Dude, when I went to watch it in the theater, I was just like, <laughs> whoa, it's filled. And then people laughed at the same parts I laughed at. And I was like, wow. And then I was like, but then, you know, like when the movie got like best picture and people started to watch the movie like on Mm -hmm. Amazon and stuff. And some people Mm -hmm. reviewed it and said, like, I have to read the subtitles. And then like, they're like, what? Yeah. And I was like, God forbid. Oh, my goodness. I know. I I think. Um, I think the director kind of said it really well in one of his acceptance speeches. You know, if you just open your mind to one inch of text, you'll you'll be like exposed to like so many great, you know, other movies and experiences. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. I'm totally misquoting that completely, yeah, but it's but no. I, I was just like, yes, yeah. yes, you're so right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how I've been like consuming other like. Korean dramas, whatever other language dramas, it's just through English mm-hmm. subtitles. Because I was like, yeah. these are amazing. I was like, you don't right. see this on like American television or like movies. Yeah. I was, like, these ideas are like so out there, but it's so good. And I was like, mm-hmm. people need to like, oh my God, just step out of their comfort zone. Like, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Being uncomfortable for a little bit's not the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. For one last question about. Okay. Okay. So, like, for any advice for someone that wants to work in higher education, but not like faculty, but like someone that like in your like profession. Well, they're definitely, um, you know, it's gonna it's gonna mean some extra school. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, you know, a lot of positions 
do look for um, advanced degrees, especially like in student affairs or um, other administrative um, positions. Um, but I would say people who are in higher ed, they do it because they really love that the work and they really love supporting students. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's why I do it. To be honest, I know that might seem it might sound cheesy or something, but no. I do. I <laughs> no, but I do enjoy um, kind of being part of what is making students' experiences positive. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because so many negative things can happen in this world, and you're spending four years of your life at this one place. Um, to know that I'm helping create a positive experience for students is a, is something that I, I hope I'm doing and mm-hmm. I strive for, um, because it's such an important time in somebody's life. If mm-hmm. they, if, if they're privileged enough to attend, uh, a college or university, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's such an important time and it, it can be such a great influence on your life mm-hmm. that it, to be part of somebody's experience that can, you know, help them become who they're, you know, whatever great thing they're planning on being. (laughs) Mm. That's a cool thing to say that you're a part of. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Just know that it's, I'll be honest, it's not always, not all positions in higher ed are you, you'd be doing it for the money, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but those of us who are there, who've been there for a while, it's we enjoy it, and mm. we enjoy it because of students. Oh, it's all for the students. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yay! Thank you, Maria. You're thank welcome. You <laughs> Absolutely, this is fun. Yeah. I hope your I hope your listeners actually enjoy this conversation. <laughs> I think they will. I hope they do. They better. <laughs> And and sh- and shout out to any former students that I know you're friends with. If they're listening to them, hi, you know who you are. Thank you, Maria. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please leave a rating and comment below what y'all think. Um, give me some what y'all think of the staff that support you um in your undergrad days and yeah anyways thank you so much for listening